Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. Well, hello, sisters and brothers. Here we are again for the Insurgents podcast. I'm joined with my friend Johnny Nugent. And this is Frankie V. And we're going to talk more about your questions. We're going to seek to answer these questions that you have given to us. The first one, well, I'm going to put two together because they naturally go together. What are your views on the five-fold ministry? And the other one is, have you written anything on the apostolic ministry? That is the ministry of the apostle. I think those two go together, John. This may be one of the areas in which John Nugent and Frank Viola are going to park company, but we'll see. (laughs) We've never talked about this, so I don't know the answer. I'll take the second question first, and then I'll just give a little riff on the first question. Have I written anything on the apostolic ministry? The answer to that is yes. In fact, I have written an entire book on what the apostolic ministry was in the first century and what I believe it is today, meaning that I'm a proponent of the idea that it still exists And I'd even dare say it's much needed today in the body of Christ and in the world. The book that I have written on that subject is entitled Finding Organic Church. And it's about sustaining and maintaining authentic Christian communities. I could have just as easily titled the book The Restoration of the Apostolic Ministry. But I instead wanted to focus on the fruit of the apostolic ministry, which is authentic Christian community. I believe that an apostle in the first century, uh, which essentially was, if you look at the Greek word, a sent one, one who was sent, was a person who founded and built kingdom communities. People who were learning how to live by the life of Jesus Christ, the king, and who were expressing the kingdom of God in close-knit, shared-life community. They were ecclesia founders. Now, it's often said that apostles were church planters, but I don't think that's the best description because when people think of church planter, they think of the person who just started the Baptist church down the road or that non-denominational megachurch up the street or the Presbyterian church over here or the missional congregation over there or the charismatic Pentecostal church over here. These are people who established cookie-cutter congregations that look no different than what we've had for the last 1,500 years since the Reformation. That's not what an apostle is. And in the, in the charismatic Pentecostal world, the apostle is the position that every person wants to attain to. And unfortunately, quote-unquote apostles are people who dub themselves apostles, who are called apostles in the charismatic world very often have nothing to do with raising up Christian communities, whether it's institutional or not. And titles are something that are coveted greatly by many, many Christians. Some people will give their arm or their teeth just to have a title, whether it's apostle, prophet, elder, evangelist, what have you. One of the points I make is that 
the word apostle, and this is true for the word shepherd, it's true for the word evangelist or prophet, they're never used as titles in the first century in That's the right. New Testament, right? They're descriptions. Mm -hmm. Paul never says, I am the apostle Paul. No, he says, Paul, a sent one, right? That's mm -hmm. different. He's not using it as an honorific title. But I'm very nervous about people who call themselves apostles and Actually, the word has become a cuss word today because it, it's been dragged through the mud and it's been perverted to mean so many different things that have very little to do with the New Testament concept. But I believe that a sent one, an apostolic worker, is someone who has been called by God, and not everyone is an apostle, and not everyone has that calling. In fact, that's a good thing, because if you are someone who truly is called to be an apostolic worker, you have just received a death sentence. <laughs> this is one of the worst things that a person can have in their life. Paul makes this very clear. All right. So it's the exact opposite of what it is in the charismatic world. It's not something you aspire to. Yeah, power and prestige and <laughs> oh, limelight. Yeah. No, yeah. it's more like, okay, slander, loss of reputation, immense suffering, and on and on. And you are the dregs of society in effect. Paul uses that term when he talks about the apostolic ministry. All right. So it's someone who's called to it. It's someone who has been trained for it. And the training is not in a seminary or a Bible college. The training for the apostolic work is that you are a brother or sister who's part of a local shared life kingdom community yourself as a non-leader. Every apostolic person in the first century was first a brother or a sister, if you believe Andronicus was an apostolic worker, and a local body of believers that has shared life together. Paul Tarsus didn't become a Christian and become an apostle. Now, same thing with Peter. He lived with Jesus Christ in close-knit community with other believers, the disciples, for three and a half years. Then he was sent, right? Same thing with Barnabas. He's lived in the church in Jerusalem as a brother before he was sent. And then third, the sending. Apostolic workers are sent by either another apostolic worker, most of the time the person that trained them and prepared them, or by a body of believers, like we see in Acts 13. And I think one of the outstanding marks of a true apostolic ministry is that they can build a community of believers displaying the kingdom of God out of the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom mm -hmm. and then leave it on its own for a long period of time without any human headship at all and it survive while they're gone. And it's exactly what Paul Tarsus did. It's exactly what the other apostles did. And I think that ministry is very rare on this planet. And I think a lot of people are called to the apostolic ministry, but they end up going into seminary and they become pastors. And so they never really understand what that gift that they had or that calling really was because there's not a whole lot of teaching on what the apostolic ministry really is. But anyway, I sketch all of this out in Finding Organic Church. That's my answer to the question. Have you written on it? Yes. And that's a brief primer on what I say about it. Do you have any thoughts on that, John? Uh, I, I think that description is, is pretty accurate. And I would only add, uh, in support of what you were saying toward the end, that when apostle types like Peter and John settle down and become ongoing members of a body of Christ. They, they stop being sent, mm -hmm. right? They settle down uh, in a congregation for the long haul, which is also a calling mm -hmm. and a very special calling. 
they're called elders. Yeah. So John later in his life, Peter later later in his life, are referred to as elders. Yes. They begin functioning in a capacity that's different than in an apostolic capacity. Okay. Yes. Uh, so I find that interesting. Uh, you know, the sending is tied to their yes. their mobile ministry. Yes. And they're settling down. You don't settle down as an apostle. Right. Right. And, and that might, if you settle down as an apostle, that might keep you elevated in the <laughs> community. Yeah, and absolutely. then the community would all of a sudden be a tiered community with the apostles on the top. Uh, but they settle in as elders. Yeah. People who serve the body, not lord over the body. Yeah. Uh, build up the saints and prepare them and equip them for the work of ministry so that the whole body matures and grows up with every ligament, right, attached to every yeah, uh, muscle and the body functioning properly as Christ envisioned. That's a great point. And lest there be no confusion, all elders are not apostles. All elders were not once apostles. Many people become overseers who don't have an apostolic calling at all. But this business of an apostolic worker who travels, raises up kingdom communities later in their life, then seeing an end to that phase of their ministry settling down with one of the communities, then they become an elder with the other elders. I think that's a, a great insight. There's no such thing as a stationary apostle. Apostolic workers travel. The nature of their ministry is to travel. And in the book, Finding Organic Church, we could talk for hours on this subject, all different aspects. And I know people listening to us have more questions. Well, what about this? What about that? But in effect, I talk about the four ways the kingdom communities, ecclesias, were raised up in the first century. First, you have the Jerusalem way. That was once and only once, never before, never again. You had 12 apostolic workers who had been called by Jesus, trained, prepared by Jesus, and sent by Jesus all laboring together to lay the foundation of the first, the one and only first kingdom community on the planet, which is Jerusalem. They labored there together in building that community, laying its foundation, which is Jesus Christ, for three to four years. Now, they didn't leave it. The church left them. <laughs> yeah, the, right. the community left them. Yeah, the Holy Spirit drove the community <laughs> right <laughs> out. Yes. So you had them leaving, all right? And it was a three to four year period in which they stayed there together and they were laying the foundation and they, of course, had meetings in the homes and then they had their apostolic meetings where they laid the foundation in Solomon's portico. And then you also see them traveling, right? That's the first way. The second way is the Antioch model. And this is the classic model in which kingdom communities were raised up throughout the first century. And that's where you have an apostolic worker or workers called by the Lord. They live in body life. They live in community for a period of time. The calling is evident to everyone else. And then there comes a point where the Holy Spirit sends that apostolic worker out. Their ministry as an apostle now is manifested. And the Spirit of God sends them out, either by another apostolic worker or by the fellowship. And in Acts 13, we see the sending out of Paul and Barnabas. And what they do now is they travel, they go into a city, they preach the gospel of the kingdom, they raise up a community of believers, they show them how to know the king, they show them how to live for and by the king, and to take care of the kingdom community, and then they leave them on their own. And then they'll come back, 
and encourage and recenter and re-equip and so forth. But they're constantly on the move. The third way that kingdom communities were raised up in the first century is the Ephesian model. And in Ephesus, what Paul did in his, later in his life, he duplicated the mystery of Jesus in Galilee, where, where Jesus trained 12 men for the apostolic ministry. Paul of Tarsus trained eight, and he even had a ninth come in later on in the city of Ephesus for about three years. He had apprentices. And these were people like Timothy and Titus and Aristarchus and Secundus and others that are named in the book of Acts. And he sent them out all throughout Asia Minor. And all the churches that are mentioned in the early parts of Revelation were kingdom communities that were raised up by these men that Paul of Tarsus had trained. Epaphras. And he raised up a kingdom community that was in the city of Colossae. And we have a letter that Paul wrote to that fellowship, to that kingdom community that Epaphras had raised up. So that's the Ephesian model. It is the training center of apostolic workers by an older apostle who is now passing the baton on, passing the torch on to a younger generation. And then the fourth way that kingdom communities were raised up is what we see in Rome the Roman model. And it's the exact opposite of the Jerusalem model where you had a group of apostles raising up a kingdom community and then that community migrating all over to other cities, right? And the apostolic workers staying in that city and then traveling from it. In Rome, he wanted to see a kingdom community raised up in the eternal city of Rome the cosmopolitan city of Rome, the beacon head of the Roman Empire. What he did was he had people from all the kingdom communities that he had raised up, and he had representatives travel to the city of Rome from all different areas. And Priscilla and Aquila were the beacon head of that group, and they opened up their home. And you had people from the fellowship in Jerusalem, which Paul did not raise up. And you had people from all the other kingdom communities descend on the city of Rome. And so it was a cosmopolitan kingdom community in the cosmopolitan city of Rome. Multicultural right there in the city. And so it was the reverse of a migration from one city to many others. People from many different cities into one. And that's the Roman model. And so I sketch all this out in Finding Organic Church. So the other question was... The fivefold ministry. Yeah. What are your views on the fivefold ministry? Well, John, you want to start with that one? Yeah. Do you want me to read the passage from Ephesians? Yeah. Yes. So people listening will understand what the person is talking about when they use the phrase fivefold ministry. Okay. I'll start Ephesians 4, uh, beginning in verse 7. Uh, but each of us was given according to uh, grace, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Uh, therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive, but he gave gifts to his people. And I'm going forward to verse 11. The gifts that he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and from and blown by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. 
from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth and building itself up in love. The quote-unquote fivefold ministry is a doctrine that is very strong in the charismatic world. It's known as the recovery of the restoration fivefold ministry. And many Christians in that movement have gone to seed on that doctrine that becomes everything that they're obsessed with. I would say a few things about this. Number one, this doctrine was forced into existence by a man around 1830, actually 1824, who lived in Scotland. And he began preaching that fivefold ministry had ceased from the church for centuries and that it was being restored in his day and in his time. And ever since then, the Pentecostal and Charismatics picked that up, began preaching it, and here we are some 100 years later, and it's still being preached and taught that God is restoring the fivefold ministry. Why don't you sketch what what they do with these terms, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Yeah. When they tried to restore that, what did their vision of restoring this look like? Yeah, well, basically they were in fact saying that for the church to be what God called her to be, we have to have the apostolic ministry restored, which, by the way, I agree with that point. But what they say of an apostle is, I shan't not agree with <laughs> a very different concept. The prophetic ministry needs to be restored. The evangelistic ministry needs to be restored, and then the pastor-teacher. I call these particular gifts the ascension gifts. These are the gifts that Jesus gave to the body of Christ, placed in the body of Christ after he ascended. And these are not gifts as if someone is given a gift. The gifts, if you look at the context of the whole passage in Ephesians 4, are these people. The people are the gifts. Yes. The apostle is the gift. The prophet is the gift. The evangelist is the gift given to the body. What's really been missing is this important spiritual truism that these gifted people grow out of organically and automatically a kingdom community that has a shared life together that's enthroning Jesus of Nazareth as king. They automatically flourish. Just like if I plant a seed in the ground and it's a rose seed, in time a rose is going to emerge and it's going to have the stems and it's going to have the thorns and it's going to have the flower. All right, You can't manufacture it. It comes out of the soil. And that's the missing element in how the fivefold ministry, so-called, is taught in these movements. Now, we even have in the so-called missional movement now, the picking up of this teaching. Only now, it's basically taught that you can be an individual Christian, living your individual Christian life, be in an institutional church, or you're out in the wilderness, it doesn't matter, you're an individual, and now you just take this assessment test, and you can find out if you're an apostle or a prophet or a teacher or a pastor or whatever. Okay. It's basically the same drama being played out on a different stage. And I would just say this, that the only way you're going to know what an apostolic worker looks like, what a true prophet looks like, what a true shepherd, that's what the word pastor really means, a true shepherd looks like, what a true teacher looks like, is if you are part of 
a kingdom community that has a shared life together that's living by Christ because that's the womb in which these people are born. That's the only way you're going to see it operate and see it flourish the way that it was supposed to flourish. John, it's the difference between watching a baby, a female baby, grow and seeing her produce eyebrows and hair and breasts and fingernails. It's organic versus going into a laboratory and trying to produce a female by putting together some starch and plastic and hair and and trying to put it together sort of like a, a Frankenstein. And that's what we have today, I believe, in the movements that push this fivefold ministry. And what you get is you get apostles that aren't really apostolic in the New Testament sense of the word. What you get is prophets that don't look anything like the prophetic ministry in the first century. What you get are pastors, shepherds, oh, this is a big one, folks, that don't look anything like what the shepherds were in the first century. You get the pastor of the Reformation, which grew directly out of the Catholic priest. He's really the same animal. He just dresses differently. Although, although those shepherds were probably more focused on the Word of God than contemporary shepherds, which grow out of the church growth yes. movement, out of marketing and management systems from worldly organizations. I, I would say we've we've gone down since the Reformation model. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. right. Well, you have, yeah, so you have, let's see, maybe it devolved this way. Pagan priest, <laughs> Catholic priest, Reformation pastor, CEO, entrepreneur, now standing in a pulpit and preaching sermons. Yeah. There you have it. The point we're making, and we're not trying to be critical here, folks, but the point we're making is that the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, teacher in the first century looked very different than what we have on the planet today when people use those terms. Looked very different, functioned very differently, But the extended point is when you have the gospel of the kingdom preached and a group of people respond to it and begin forsaking all and submitting to Christ as king and head and Lord together in community and a kingdom community begins to flourish, it will automatically in time, organically, you cannot stop it, it's a force, will produce these gifted people. And they will look very different from what most people mean when they say, oh, Apostle Joe, or Prophet John, or Pastor Bill, or Evangelist Jane, or or what have you. Another thing I'll add is to say that many people put shepherd, teacher together as one gift. They're just two sides to the same gift. If that's the case, you don't have a fivefold, you have a fourfold. I tend to agree with that. There is an article that I have written entitled, Rethinking the Fivefold Ministry. You can find it on my blog, frankviola.org. Just type it into the search window on the right, Rethinking the Fivefold Ministry. And it's one of the most popular articles I've written because it takes dead aim at the modern teaching. It looks at the historical roots of where this whole thing came from, the restoration of the fivefold ministry, and then makes some of the same points. John. I have three points of things that I would add to this conversation. And I don't come from the same place uh, in that I'm not growing out of a reaction to a movement that's committed to something called the fivefold ministry, <laughs> right. right? And so, uh, but this passage is really important to me in my vision of Christian leadership. And if you wanted a book that I found really helpful, 
I mean, read Frank's book and his articles, but also check out a book by John Howard Yoder called The Fullness of Christ. Amen to that. An excellent book that does some of the church history behind how we ended up with a professionalized clergy. Mm. And and how this falls short of the vision of ministry conveyed in Ephesians 4. Uh, but what I get out of this passage, and if, if you read my book, Endangered Gospel, there's a chapter on church leadership, uh, is, you know, the emphasis in this passage is not, hey, here's a template of a five-fold kind of ministry that every church needs to have. Right. Uh, you know, when you come to the Bible looking for, our church has questions about leadership, where do I find passages that have leadership titles? And then what can we learn about those titles so that we can have people with those titles in our church? Then you miss the flow of what Paul's saying in this passage. Uh, Paul is saying in this passage... God has gifted each congregation uh, with the leaders it needs to grow into maturity as the bride of Christ. That the emphasis is whatever leaders God has given you, it's for building up the body so that all the members of the body are sharing the work of ministry. And only when the leaders are committed to that work does the body grow into fullness uh, maturity, uh, not having some members that are solid and some that are tossed around by every wind of doctrine. What makes people in the body vulnerable to the winds of this world that blow them around is the fact that they themselves do not see themselves as vital ministers in the body of Christ. They're floating around with the tide, looking to the leaders to do the work of ministry, uh, but God gives the church ministers in every single member. And so the emphasis of the passage is not what is the blueprint for titles in the church. The emphasis is how the leaders that God has given the church serve to equip every member to share in the work of ministry. And a third point I would make, uh, and this is a uh, even an insight that I've come to since writing Endangered Gospel and that I've uh, begun implementing in my own church family and teaching in the classroom at, at Great Lakes Christian College, where I teach, is uh, I did a study of all the leadership passages that people point out in the Bible, and I did a parallel study to bring in conversation with it of the Word of God in Scripture. And all the phrases, every single time the word, the phrase, the Word of God, the Word of Christ, the Word of the Lord shows up in Scripture. And I brought those two studies into conversation with one another. And, and I discovered something really powerful in the course of that study. And that is, in the scriptures, the word of God is supposed to be the heart, the center, and the life of the people of God. And by the phrase word of God, I don't mean the Bible. Mm -hmm. right? I mean the word of God, the way God has revealed himself. I mean the gospel message, mm. the gospel message of the kingdom. Most of the times the word of God is referred to in the gospels. It is the gospel message. Mm. And uh, what we see when we study the phrases about the word of God in the Old Testament and in the teachings of Jesus, uh, in the teachings of the apostles, and in the language of the book of Acts as it explains the ministry of the apostles and prophets, uh, the word of God is at the center Without the word of God, you do not have a kingdom community. The gospel of the kingdom, brother. 
That's the word, the word of, God. of God. Scripture is also the word of God. Yes. And when God lays it on the heart of any member of the body of Christ, something for the body, that too is a word of God. Right? The word of God is not a static thing in the past. It's not limited to the gospel message, but that's the center of the message. And um, Jesus Christ is the living word of God. Absolutely. So what I found in this study is that you know, to have a congregation, a kingdom community, it's to have a community that is rallied around, gathered around, living by the Word of God mm. at its center. Uh, when you study all the New Testament letters and you look at the different leadership patterns, you're not going to see this fivefold ministry in the book of Acts or in the book of 1 Corinthians. And it's not duplicated in every book. Uh, some books only mention teachers. Some mention teacher and elders. Some mention elders and deacons. Some emphasize prophets. Uh, but don't mention elders. So there's a diversity of terms by which leaders are called in the scriptures. But what you have in common in all the books is that God has given each body people whose focus is keeping the word of God at the center of the life of the people of God. Uh, and there are a variety of ways people do that. An apostle is the one who brings the word of God to a city, which results in a the creation of a congregation whose life feeds on and is built around the word of God, uh, the good news of the kingdom, and is the one who kind of gets them started in it. And, and like I said, if an apostle were to retire there, they would become an elder, right. someone who safeguards the word of God, keeps the word of God at the center of the community. So there are people that God has given to the church who keep the word of God at the center, and there are other people who have leadership gifts that are different than that. They're not necessarily the one who understands fully the Word of God and the one through whom God speaks a fresh word from himself to and through uh, to the people of God. Uh, but they are leaders who are amazing at equipping saints for ministry, uh, recognizing people's gifts and activating them, organizing opportunities for the body to more faithfully reflect the kingdom in their life together and service, following up on needs, caring for people who are sick, right? There is a variety of leadership giftings that God has given everybody. But if they don't have some leaders who are word of God leaders that are keeping the gospel of the kingdom mm -hmm. uh, and the authority of the scripture uh, front and center in the life of the congregation, then you don't have the prerequisites of a kingdom community. That's right. Amen, brother. Uh, and if, if we conflate organizational management, pastoral follow-up, with our leadership roles, like to be a leader in this body is to be the one who does the pastoral follow-up, mm -hmm. is the one to do organizational management. Uh, if we think that every leader has that set of gifting, then we're going to take people that their contribution is keeping the Word of God at the center and we're going to busy them with organizational management such that the Word of God is going to fall to the fringe as the people that God has gifted the church with to keep the Word of God center get busy doing management. Yeah. And I, I believe this is what's going on in Jerusalem when the apostles, where there's a big That's breach right. of fellowship where the Greek widows and the, and the Hebrew widows are being treated differently in the early church. And this is a spiritual issue. This could tear apart the community. Mm -hmm. And the apostles recognize something needs to be done about this. But our unique function is to keep the word of God at the center. Mm -hmm. And so we need spirit-filled leaders 
who will take charge in a matter that pertains to church conflict, that has to do with management of resources, which has to do with benevolence, right? Which has to do with uh, breaking down the wall between Jew and Gentiles, right? I mean, a gospel issue that is pressing upon the congregation. We need spirit-filled leaders to guide us through that mess while the apostles continue to focus on keeping the Word of God at the center of the church's ministry so that as they deal with those practical issues of handling the conflict management, it's from the Word of God that these leaders are drawing. Uh, So I see, you know, if I were to talk about a kind of ministry in the New Testament, I would talk about the twofold ministry, frankly, of leadership. The Word of God ministry, without which you don't have a congregation, and the other kinds of leadership that are just as important, just as much require the Holy Spirit, and are just as much vital for the sustaining of the community, um, that are other forms of leadership. And you might say that churches that have elders and deacons are having Word of God-centered leaders, and other leaders whose, whose focus is not the Word of God, but who from the Word of God are helping guide the body of Christ through conflict, through financial decisions, through ministry opportunities. And this fivefold ministry, it's interesting when you look at it, most of these are Word of God type of ministries. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers are all Word of God forms of ministry. And uh, pastors, I, I would hope the Word of God is at the center, um, but it, it, that, that term seems to convey a little bit more but but this set of words is just describing one form of ministry without which you don't have a kingdom-centered community uh, vital for the congregation. I want to tag off of some of the things you said there because we have been conditioned, John, as Christians, especially if we're in the evangelical world, to associate the term Word of God with Bible doctrines, teaching the doctrines of the Bible. And so when someone's listening to you speak, if they're part of the evangelical matrix, they can wrongly interpret what you're saying. Every time you use the word of word of God, they're thinking, okay, he's talking about the doctrines of the Bible. So all these ministries teach the doctrines of the Bible. That's way too narrow. (laughs) Way too narrow of a definition. (laughs) And not the way Jesus used the term. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the ultra-emphases of my own ministry is to talk about at the center of the ecclesia, at the center of apostolic ministry, prophetic ministry, evangelistic ministry, teaching ministry, or what have you, is the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, is the unveiling of Christ. He is the Word of God. In flesh. Absolutely. And he is the word of God in spirit. He's the living, breathing word of God. In fact, all scripture points to him, both Old and New Testament. And so there's a big difference between, you know, giving a teaching out of the Bible in a sort of a doctrinaire way and unveiling the person of Christ through preaching, through teaching, through exhortation, and through the scriptures. Jesus Christ is not divorced from the gospel of the kingdom. So if you could run by everything John said and just insert wherever he said word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom, I think that gets more narrowly focused to what what I believe was going on in the first century. In fact, 
even if you look at what was the message that Paul preached, what was the message that Philip preached? He was an evangelist, right? It says they preached Christ. Yeah, it's either they preach Christ or they preach the kingdom of God, which and, are one which, and the same. Which, exactly. <laughs> the king which, which can't and be the separated. kingdom. You can't separate yep. Jesus Christ from his kingdom any more than you can separate light from visibility. You know, it's a different way of saying the same thing. Christ embodies the kingdom. And the other thing I want to say in addition, and I know you're right here with me on this, unfortunately the charismatics have made the gifts about these five or four ministries. If you count every gift in the New Testament, you're going to come up with a list of about 2021. 20, so it's not just these gifted people, folks that exist in the body of Christ or in a local kingdom community. There's a whole lot more. You have lists in Romans. You have lists in 1 Corinthians. You have some mentioned in Peter. And you put them all together and you see that there is this multifaceted display of how Christ is communicated through the members of the body. And John and I, you know, we, <laughs> we have not explored a lot of issues offline. We, we've explored some, but we have wide agreement on many things. We have disagreement on some other things. And I don't know if we're going to part company here or not, but this term leadership is troublesome because I think that when many people think of leadership, they really think about, they can't help but think about a clergy and a laity, that the clergy are the leaders and the laity are the non-leaders. Mm -hmm. And in my understanding of the New Testament, a leader is basically someone who has influence. That means then that everyone who can speak and everyone who has the Spirit of God living in them has influence in some capacity, right? Absolutely. We new, haven't parted company yet. <laughs> <laughs> there's been no brawl yet. I see leadership broken up into two ways. Leadership oversight, and this would be the guidance that the overseers slash shepherds slash teachers slash elders provide to a body of believers, which is mainly oversight, which is often a passive role. Oversight is often a passive role. The elders, the overseers, the teachers, the shepherds, they do have a teaching gift, a teaching capacity. Now, sometimes it's public teaching capacity. They can stand up in a meeting and share a word from the Lord or a teaching. Other times, it's a private teaching capacity where one of these people is giving counsel to a person in private about an issue they're struggling with. So there's oversight leadership. But then there's the leadership that comes from the whole body, a leadership that comes from every brother and sister, where in a meeting of the kingdom community, 1 Corinthians 14 style, every one of you has something to contribute, right? Whether it's a prophetic word, whether it's an insight, whether it's a revelation, whether it's a something you saw of Christ as you were reading the scripture or in prayer, Every believer can influence by sharing and participating. This is the ministry of the priesthood of all believers. So in that capacity, every believer has a leadership role in a sense. Plus, if you have a fellowship that makes decisions by consensus, which in my experience of the kingdom communities I've been a part of, we would make decisions by consensus. It wasn't this thing where the elders in the fellowship made the decisions and everybody had to follow we all came together and we would set the guidance and direction for the body of Christ or there was an issue at hand and we would talk about it. And so there, everyone is participating in the leadership process. So you have oversight leadership, 
And then you have the leadership that comes from the body via the various gifts and ministries that every believer has in different capacities. And thereby you have Christ being revealed by the members of the body and hence the word assembly, which is really the meaning of ecclesia, the assembling of the parts of Jesus Christ put together and you step back and what do you see? You see the Lord. I don't know if we part on that, but that's there's my there's not there. a thing there that we depart on. Oh wow! That's um, high five. Every, every member ministry, and this is that is the main point I got out of Ephesians, you know, chapter four, that the leaders that God gives to the church is for the work of ministry of every member. I mean, that's, so they can lead in their various so gifts. Everyone leads in the area of their giftedness. Amen, brother. Amen. Um, and so, you know, this, yeah, leaders, some in the church who are leaders, some who are not, is not a kingdom model Amen. of leadership. Amen. Yeah, I think where where we might uh, not articulate things the same way, and, and having not talked about this together, there's no way we would find that we've, that we've always used the same language, is I, I hesitate to use, to focus on language of oversight, because Americans tend to get hung up on the word over. On top ah, hierarchy, good. right? I can live with that. Uh, and to me, that. what sets apart the recognized leaders in the body from the every member leader in the body is that some people bring the word of God and keep it at the center. Mm-hmm. When we think oversight, it's often control the direction of. And I'm like you, I'm from a body that makes decisions by consensus as mm-hmm. well. Our leaders bring the word of God on a regular basis, feed the body on the word of God. Mm-hmm. And the body together discerns the direction where the head Christ is leading us. Yeah, it's good. He's the one over us. And and just to make a comment on, you know, how do you identify someone who is a word of God person in your body? Uh, it's not they have a seminary degree, mm-hmm. although some of them do. Uh, you can have a seminary degree. You can have expert knowledge of the Bible and not be recognized by the body as one of the Word of God leaders. Mm -hmm. In fact, the body I'm a part of right now has seminary graduates who are not elders, uh, which are the the function, the the designation we give to people who we recognize as our Word of God leaders in the the body. Uh, The Word of God leaders are the ones that, as they're teaching, when they're sharing, they're the ones that when they're talking about something and explain them, God is speaking to you. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear the word of God when they're teaching. God speaks to you on a regular basis in a very consistent word, opens your eyes to his spiritual truths in Christ. When this person is sharing from the word of God, a word of God for the people of God, right? Uh, and there may be people who uh, do that in your body who are not your pastor, who are not deacons, who are not elders. And here I'm speaking of a normal institutional church that has titles for different positions. Um, The preacher may not be a word of God person. I mean, he could preach a message every Sunday, but you seldom hear God's word from them. Him speak into your life. Mm -hmm. Him speak words that make you need to repent and change things on a regular basis. God is speaking truth into your life. You hear God speaking as they are bearing witness. That's how you recognize someone who is a Word of God person. And it doesn't have to do with titles. Yep. Uh, That's right. But I, I think here in the fivefold ministry, these are fourfold. The Word of God is front and center 
in these apostles, in these prophets, in these evangelists and teachers and pastors. And if, especially if you conflate pastor teacher, well, there you go. It's in all four. These are word of God type people. The body couldn't exist without them because the, the gospel of the kingdom must be at the center of our life together. Amen, brother. Well, on that very high note, we will end this episode and we will see you next time. And if you have received value from these episodes, we'd love for you to go over to iTunes on the Insurgents podcast and give us a five-star rating only because it helps other people find it. Until next time, be good. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Insurgents podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others find it. Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the insurgence has begun. Don't miss it.